Fauci. <laughs> Have you ever heard those commercials on TV at night? The musical parody. Rossini, the Mozart, and the immortal Pagliacci. He's just one of those composers, you know. We're gonna... <laughs> it's a laugh a minute life, I'll tell you. Uh, incidentally, I'm delighted to report that uh, my favorite uh, season has arrived once again. Yes, uh, this is uh, this is when I can enjoy one of the true American art forms this time of year. The halftime ceremony. Oh, I love the halftime ceremonies. To me, that's an American art form. You don't find halftime ceremonies anywhere else in the world. Now, have you ever thought of the halftime ceremony as, as a true expression of the American spirit? Well, you will now, after I tell you this. I mean, where else in the world are you going to see 45 girls marching in unison with everything going, you know, fantastic, wearing buckskin bras, gigantic 10-gallon hats, and shooting off Roman candles at the same time, all the while giving a salute to America's poverty, which is what I saw the other day watching <laughs> television. I thought, that's a, yeah, the, you know, those announcers that do those uh, halftime uh, uh, PA bits, you know, you're, you're hearing them? You don't often hear it because Kirk Garley always keeps getting in the way. You know, Kirk Garley's always interviewing somebody about a pass formation. And if you can see over his shoulder, the real show is going on. And you can hear the announcers saying something like this. Would you give me a little echo chamber there? I'll make it sound like a PA system. Hello, one, Hello, two, one, three, two, four, three, four, yes. yes, yes, yes. Uh, welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the halftime ceremony. Siwash University's marching Golden Mustang Band now salutes one of America's difficult problems of the day. And now the Golden Mustang Band salutes Watergate. Have you heard that? You haven't heard that kind of stuff? Well, I guess uh, when you spend all your time down at the local bar, it's hard to hear that over all that yelling and fist fighting that's going on. And I, I have to admit that a lot of people haven't heard that, but that's because they don't really listen. Oh, no, the... Just a couple of uh, months back, uh, in fact, last season, already we saw the trend toward the sociological relevance-oriented halftime show. Now, the old halftime show used to consist of this, a little more PA again. Now, welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Siwash University Halftime Ceremonies today, featuring the halftime ceremony marching band, the Golden Mustangs, under Dr. Frank Watanabe. Today, salute the music of Richard Rogers and Rogers and Hammerstein. You heard those, right? Okay, that's the old-time show. That's that's all over again. It's no longer a revelant show. Nom, bum, bum. <laughs> oh, listen, I, I did... Did you know that one time... In my speckled, checkered career at one time, I did hockey play-by-play. -play. That's right. And you're curious what, what team I did it for? The Mohawks of Cincinnati. Cincinnati Mohawks, playing in the Cincinnati Garden, owned by the Montreal Canadiens. And I'll never forget one night this friend of mine come up to me saying, you know, doing the play-by-play, -play, you know, you got you got certain connections, see. And uh, so, yeah, I had a lot of connections, you know. That, that, what the, the connection consisted really of a Class E telephone line that came out of that place. And uh, the line was so cheap that we used to do the hockey play-by-play uh, -play, that it was the only telephone line I've ever seen that had no highs, Joe. Are you listening, Joe? This telephone line that I worked on doing the play-by-play -play out, out of the Cincinnati Garden had no highs. It had no lows. And it was one of the 
few telephone lines I have ever seen that had no middle. And uh, so I came out sounding like Donald Duck. You know, I'd say, and now they're taking it up to the blue line. There's a pass over to Watanabe. Uh, there's a pass back over to Watson. Watson uh, now passes in. He's circling around the ice. There's a shot. And it's in the stands. Well, uh, one day, I, I did hockey. <laughs> what, a, what a wild scene. One night, this buddy of mine, <laughs> he says to me, he says, you know, comes up, he's an engineer, you know, just like uh, all engineers are basically freebies. I, I've never known an engineer that, no, no, they are, let's face it. And uh, he kept, no, I don't mean that to be to be uh, nasty, Joe. I, I only report the news. I do not make it. And uh, so he comes up to me one night, and he says, hey, he says, listen, he says, I, I love hockey. And I said, all right, Bob, you love hockey. What else is uh, troubling you? He says, well, he said, I, I, every time I buy a seat down there to the garden, he says, I'm sitting way up there. He says, so far back. He says, I got a pair of binoculars, and I have trouble even seeing the ice with the binoculars. Well, that's true. You know, you get these uh, $3 seats. You know, the price, the price of sports has gone up to the point now where many a guy, you know, has to decide whether to take his two-week vacation in Bermuda or go to see the Knicks. So, uh... Nevertheless, he decided, you know, he wanted to see the game. So they were playing, they were playing the Hershey Bears. You heard of the Hershey Bears? That's a hockey team. Well, Hershey, you know about Hershey. Hershey candy, right? There's a, there's a team called the Hershey Bears. It's kind of a play on the term Hershey Bars. You don't get it? You do, huh? Okay, good. Fine, how you would. And they have chocolate color uniforms. They really do. Big peanuts painted all over them. So, uh, nevertheless, I'm seriously telling you the truth. There was also, uh, there was the Cleveland Club. They played all the time. But the Hershey Club was really hot, see. So he said, he wanted to see him play Hershey. So I said, okay, Bob, I'll see what I can do. So uh, I went to see the uh, the PR guy. And I said to the PR guy, I said, hey, listen, PR guy. I said, it's been seven weeks now, and you guys haven't paid me, right? And he says, that's right. He says, no, he says, we're hoping for an upsurge in attendance here soon. And I said, okay. Uh, I said, now, since you haven't paid me for seven weeks and I've been doing the games, right? They've been on the air? I mean, I really did them? He says, that's correct. I said, well, then what do you say that you slip me a freebie ticket? How am I slipping me a freebie ticket for an old buddy of mine? He says, very good. I'd be glad to. And now, kids, men, women, children, birds, and seagulls that are listening to this, there is a lesson in this. I want you to listen to the lesson. It was one of those nights I learned a lesson in life. So I, I gave him the tickets. And, oh, he was abject. He was just abject in his, uh, in his gratitude. I hate to see a grown man go down on his knees and, and cling to your knee and cry. A grown man. And not only that, he was had a first-class phone. I mean, that kind of guy shouldn't have to do that. But anyway, he was, because that's the, what sports do to you today. Listen, I, I've known guys. I knew a guy that wanted to get to see... The last World Series, you know, when the Mets were in the World Series, he wanted to get to see a World Series game so bad, he couldn't get a ticket. This guy wanted to get a World Series game so bad that you know what he had to do? He traded his wife to another guy for three weeks. Well, now, and let's face it, if you know this guy's wife, you know that wasn't much of a trade. And uh, the only reason that he traded her, he didn't trade her for the reason you think he traded her for. She went over there and did the weeding in the backyard in this guy's house for three weeks. That's all she was, yeah. But nevertheless, he was willing to do that. And uh, he did. He went and saw the ball game. By the way, it was a disaster. The, the Mets lost that game. 
And, uh, you know, that's always the way it goes. He came home madder than hell. On the way back, somebody stole his hubcaps on a Utopia Parkway. It was just a bad scene. So, anyway, my friend, my friend came to me, and he said, please get me a ticket for the Hershey Bear game. And I said, all right, I'll get you a ticket. At that time, the Cincinnati Mohawks were in a head-to-head, uh, as they say, push-and-shove struggle with the Cleveland team for last place in the league. Right. And so naturally, there was a great crowd interest in this game. And there was, actually. There were thousands of people came out to see the game. And uh, my, my buddy was sitting right down in the first row. I got him a seat right down there with the, you know, with the real people. And, and he was sitting right down, and I could see him up in the booth. See, I was up there, and I'm saying, you know, the face-off, it's time for the face-off, and the crowd was roaring. Five minutes into the game, five minutes, he didn't even see five minutes. Five minutes into the game, one of the Hershey Bear players took a pass. He's coming up over the blue line. He got a fantastic check, and as he does, he, he swings, passes, in the, passes the puck over to the other side of the blue line. The guy catches it on the edge of his stick. The puck ricocheted. And I saw this crowd gathering around, and the next thing you know, they're carrying this victim out. Guess who it was? I'd like to tell you it was Bob. It was not Bob. It was a girl Bob had been working on for over three weeks, and he figured he'd really show her a good time tonight, you know. <laughs> they turned it off. <laughs> and for three days we visited her at Memorial Hospital there. She caught a puck right in the left ear. No, it wasn't in the teeth, it was in the left ear. It was fantastic. She had the biggest ear I ever saw in my life after. It was ear over three, four feet round. Tremendous. And the puck was embedded right in it. And uh, she was like a, a living, walking Stanley Cup trophy. And uh, so there's a lesson in this, friends. Beware of anything that comes free. Look it right in the eye. And then grab it and run. Listen, I got a package the other day. I don't know what, uh, what express company sent it, but it was fantastic. I mean, have you ever seen a package that was less than a millimeter thick? And it started out two feet square. Oh, no, they had some kind of a machine that just flattened it out. You know, it saved space, you know, in the truck and all that stuff. And, uh, and it set fragile all over. That's true. They didn't break the string that was around the package. And they didn't tear the paper. And I guess that's what the fragile thing referred to. But it was a fantastic package. It started out two feet square. came from an electronic company out in Chicago. I ordered it. You know, it came out two feet square. And uh, when it arrived, Joe, the package was over seven feet around and a millimeter flat. It's amazing. In fact, uh, you're talking to the only guy, the only guy that you know, who has a, a stereo set that he can roll down the street now. That's right. It's just fantastic. You can see through it. Hold it up to the light. It's that flat. But uh, that's uh, that's what happens. That's what happens. Of course, it, it works. The amazing thing about it, it, it works. So uh, you never know uh, where where you're going to find uh, truth, right? You don't know. And tonight I've decided to deal in it. Guy wrote me and said, Shepard, what's your hobby? Now I don't know whether it's any of his damn business, because I may have a hobby he doesn't want to hear about, right? Have you ever wondered what my hobby is, Joe? No, I don't wonder about yours either, so I guess we're even, right? In fact, I don't give a damn about yours, because I know what yours is. Any guy that, that goes around and embroiders lampshades for a hobby, forget it. <laughs> Unless they're erotic lampshades, you know, expressing the inner Joe, you know, that kind of stuff. That's okay. 
uh, with the beads. I like that, the frou-frou on the bottom. You know what frou-frou is? It's a French dancer in the Foley's Brigere. <laughs> you don't know her, huh? Oh, she's something. But uh, nevertheless, I, I, uh, my hobby, okay. Uh, I might as well be honest with you. I, uh, I did have a hobby one time. My hobby, when I was about seven, I don't know how I got started on this hobby. You don't know, you know. What is a hobby? A hobby is, is something you do that you don't expect any return from. That's truly a hobby. You know, your work shouldn't be your hobby. It isn't your hobby. Nobody has work as a hobby. Although a lot of people enjoy their work, right? But that doesn't necessarily mean it's your hobby. You see, your hobby is something that is done that completely is removed from the whole process of earning a living and anything else. It's just a, you know, it's a... And, and man is the only creature that has hobbies. Unless it can be proved that uh, that uh, horses kicking you, that's their hobby. It uh, could be. I don't know. <laughs> you know I, want, I know one guy. Oh, wow. Fantastic. Right over the garage. And the horse was 18 years old. Never knew he could kick field goals like that. Boom, just gone. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, caught him on the bounce, too, on the other side. He got hit he, he, terrible. He hit the other side, bounced twice, and right into a Sears Roebuck uh, uh, lawnmower that was working over there. But uh, you can... Uh, are you thinking about that, Joe? Good ghastly image, isn't it? Sounds like the end of one of the great Walt Disney films. You can always tell you're watching a Walt Disney film. It's got Dean Jones in it. Right. The perfect Walt Disney hero has absolutely not a single thought ever shows in his eye at all, at any point. Right? He's always co-starring with Suzanne Plachette in the Dachshund, or a duck, or a goose. Yeah. That's a, you could write the Walt Disney films like every five minutes. There's a machine that turns them out, actually. It's called the Walt Disney Film Machine. You just crank them out. But uh, there are them that like it, right? Mm-hmm. I enjoy it, certainly. <laughs> right. Oh, well, you probably like devil dogs and Yankee Doodles, too. Right, okay. Nothing wrong with that. I know a friend of mine that uh, that uh, likes Yoo-Hoo. He whips up a little batch of Yoo-Hoo at night once in a while, puts vodka in it. Yes, sir. Right. You have that, that, uh, that drink has a name, vodka and Yoo-Hoo. You didn't know what that is? Huh? You don't care either. Well, okay. I mean, you can order it if you want. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Better not. We've always wore off the air. It's got a great name. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, who threw the inner tube in the Yoo-Hoo? But uh, nevertheless, <laughs> uh, I, 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 uh, my hobby, oh, yes, my hobby. You want to hear what my hobby was? Well, my hobby, at one point, at the age of seven, I got very deeply involved in the hobby. And my hobby was collecting match covers. You know what match covers are? Well, I collected match covers. And uh, I, you collected those too for a while? Well, I started to collect match covers. Now, when you're a kid, you first collect match covers uh, by walking around and looking down in the gutter. You pick them up out of the gutter, you see. And then you realize that match covers come from certain places. And then you begin to actually go to those places to get the match covers. In other words, uh, uh, Charlie's Barn Grill. Uh, if you want a Charlie's Bar and Girl match cover and you keep looking around for one, you don't find one. What do you do? You wind up drinking the bourbon in there to get some, right? And at the age of eight, I began to drink heavily because that's uh, where all those match covers come from. And uh, then I finally got turned off. My mother finally flipped when I started to bring home. I, the, my, my best prize as a match cover collector came one night, though I was already fully grown up. And I've always 
kind of been sorry that I gave up that hobby because lately there's been some great match covers showing up. Yeah, I was with this girl over in this elegant East Side restaurant. And uh, you know that most girls, whenever they go into a very expensive restaurant, immediately they need to buy cigarettes. You've noticed that? It's a, it's a gut reaction to an expensive joint that has no cigarettes for sale unless they're $4 a package and they're imported from Belgium. You know, that kind. Well, so I knew this. So, so we walked into the restaurant there in a very elegant place. Luigi's, you know, name like that. Had this uh, marquee out in front. And uh, it's very dark in there. Little candles guttering away. We walk into Luigi's. And the minute she says, oh, you know, you get that sound. You know, you hear it in the voice. She says, oh, I'm so sorry. I says, yes, Mabel. She says, I'm so sorry, but I'm out of cigarettes. I says, of course you're out of cigarettes. What else? We're in Luigi's. Naturally. You never run out of cigarettes at the Chock Full of Nuts. I know you have, and not once have you run out of cigarettes when we've gone, uh, you know, uh, uh, sightseeing at Woolworths. Uh, where do you run out of cigarettes? Luigi's. The Four Seasons. This is where you run out of cigarettes. I said, and of course, you want cigarettes. Is that correct? Oh, if you don't mind. Well, I went over to the machine there. They had a silver-plated machine, you know, these elegant places. They have a machine that's designed uh, to fit the decor of the place, not just one of those ordinary uh, bus terminal type of cigarette machines. This was a Rococo uh, machine. It had little touches of Gothic and a little Andy Warhol. It was a very elegant machine. And it's the only machine I knew that only accepted $5 bills. Now, uh, most machines I'm used to have a little slot that says two quarters, five nickels, seven dimes, and 18 pennies you have to put in, right? This one says $5 bills only. That's a, you know, <laughs> and incidentally, the machine was painted to look like the shirt front of a head waiter. So I, I you know, whipped out the $5 bill, and uh, I said, what kind do you want? She says, oh, it doesn't matter. Of course it doesn't matter when you're operating a $5 cigarette machine. Take what you can get. And so I put the, I put the $5 bill into the slot, and, you know, they have one of these little... Uh, little lights that can tell the difference between a $5 bill and a $1 bill. And if you think I'm kidding, friend, did you ever try to put a $1 bill into a change machine? You've seen those change machines where it says $5, $1? There's two kinds, you know. Or do you only go into those cheapy joints that give you change for a quarter, right? Ah, that's your speed, right? So I put, I put, the, <laughs> I put the $5 bill into the machine, see, and the machine goes... You know, it sucked that $5 bill up. Oh, I'll tell you, Luigi himself couldn't have done it better. You know, he's got a magnet, you know, a dollar bill, a $5, $20 bill magnet. In fact, he's got, a, he's got a palm that rejects anything less than a 20. Automatically wads it up and spits it back at you. You know, you get it in the air. So, <laughs> nevertheless, this machine user, up goes the five bucks. And the, the, the guts were operating. And down at the bottom of the slot comes the cigarette package, right? Well, now, this is a very elegant place. In fact, it's so elegant, you know the whole idea of camp, don't you? This, was the, all, this, this entire place was all done in, in, uh, in uh, let's say, uh, nostalgic decor. You know what nostalgic decor is, don't you? 1932 calendars on the wall, right? Uh, Humphrey Bogart. Big picture of Humphrey Bogart. Uh, when you, with, instead of uh, where it says men, they have Bogart's picture on the John there, right? And w instead of women, there's a picture of Carol Lombard. 
I mean, you know that kind. You know the kind of guys that go to places like that. You know, I don't have to, you know, pound it down. So anyway, we're in this place. Very, very elegant. What kind of cigarettes do you think come out? Do you think L and M's come out? Do you think Marlboros? No, twenty grands. <laughs> twenty grands. They were, they were. Yeah, it was nostalgic cigarettes were coming out of the machine. That's why you paid five dollars. They ain't made the twenty grands for heaven's sake since Al Capone got put in the big house. Right? Twenty grands. I turned I says, Are twenty grands all right? And it was a pregnant pause and she says, Well, if they don't have wings wings I said, What the hell am I in here? So at that point I, 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 I give her the you know, I, I give her the the, the the twenty grands. Yeah, these are these cigarettes twenty grands. There's a picture of a horse in the front there with a horseshoe around it. It says twenty grand on it. I said, Twenty grand I said, What are they are you sure they use tobacco in these? She says, what do you mean? I says, well, <laughs> I'm being funny. And at that point, the machine goes, and it kicks out with a package of matches. You know, the little matches comes out the bottom. And what do you think it said on the matches? Huh? What do you think it said? It says, help fight VD. And at that point, come on, Joe, get that thing going. That's right. It says, help fight VD. I thought maybe the machine is trying to tell me something. I hate machines that editorialize. Especially about something as personal as, you know, what the hell are you going to do with that? So I gave her, I said, you want matches? She says, yes, please. I gave her the package of 20 grand, and I handed her the box of matches, you know. She reads it. She says, what's that? I says, well, <laughs> that's Luigi's brother. His name is, <laughs> his name is uh, Virgil uh, Tomagelli, you know. <laughs> she says, oh, that's interesting. She says, help fight VD. I says, well, you know, he's kind of a mean type, and he's trying to take over this place. We've got to help Luigi keep the law, keep the lease, and the whole thing. And so we sat there for 15 or 20 minutes, and she smoked his 20 grand, you know. And I, and I discovered that the place not only was nostalgic in the cigarettes and its decor, it was also nostalgic in its food. You ever eaten a three-day-old uh, pork chop? Yeah, well, it came right out of the old day, you know. Same pork chop of Sydney Green Street. Fooled around with in a big scene in the Maltese Falcon. cigarettes that this machine had? I, I went back. I said to Luigi, I said, Luigi, that's a fantastic cigarette machine. And he says, oui, monsieur. You know, it's not not every, you know, cigarette machine makes a 7,422% profit. So he thinks it's a great one, too. And uh, how, how much how much uh, money do you think that you've put in your time? I'm asking a hypothetical uh, question out there. How much money do you think you have put 
in your time into various slots and got nothing back. No, I, I'm very serious about this. I just wonder, this is one of the deepest held secrets, I think, of, of the entire phone company. You never hear any talk about that. How much money the phone company gets in dimes that you put in and nothing ever happens. I'm just curious how much they make in a year on uh, on that. I went, well, I'll tell you, uh, I, <laughs> I, I, I personally, myself, just in, in Radio City, uh, over in Rockefeller Center, rather, uh, here the other day, I'm, I'm running through and I have to make a phone call, see, so I, I rush into the phone and uh, there was a, you know, on the wall there and I pick it up and uh, it says uh, 10 cents, right, you know, so I put the dime in, nothing. I hit the coin. Have you ever seen a coin return thing ever work? No. Well, that's called a placebo. It's just like the button they put into the elevator. You know, the one that's <laughs> they have the ele- it says closed door. Have you ever seen one of those work? Well, a lot of people think they do. You see, that's what's so crazy. They get in there and they stand around for twenty minutes, and then they hit the closed door button, and then the door closes. They think that made it close. You know, that, from that point on, he's and then he wonders why the button has such a long delay when he tries it the next time. He gets a, <laughs> it doesn't work at all. In fact, there's a lot of buildings when you walk in and it says up. You know, the, the little elevator button is 742 stories. You walk in this building, you press the button up, and it lights up. And you actually think that has something to do with the elevators? No way. They're all on an automatic system. You know, they go up and down. You know, zip, zap, bam, uh, and it doesn't make any difference. And so uh, I, I, uh, I, you know, I put many a quarter into many a machine, and you get a, a kind of a fatalistic uh, feeling about it. It's like, uh, well, you know, you deserved it. It's a sneaky-looking machine. You come up to the sneaky-looking machine, you put a quarter in it, you deserve to lose, right? I mean, you know, this terrible mafia machine <laughs> standing there, and you get smart with it. It says, don't tilt. You start tilting, and a big fist comes out, cracks you in the mouth, says, cut it out. Who do you think you're shoving, Mac? Bam. Right in the mouth. So, uh, anyway, uh, you, want, you want to hear what the other cigarettes were in this machine? Marvels. You mean you never heard of Chelsea's? Right. The Chelsea cigarette. You want to know another one that was in there? Cubeb. No, I, uh, you know, I... I've only read, you know, about Q-Bebs. It's, uh, that's something that the F. Scott Fitzgerald's characters are always smoking. Q-Bebs. Q-Bebs. F- Fatima. You could get the Fatima. Or if you were one of the illiterate, the Fatima cigarettes come out of there. And uh, they were all in this machine. Huh? So stay out of Luigi's. I mean, it has no relationship. Uh, no, actually, it's kind of nice there. It's the only place I know where they reuse the salads. You know, they just, uh, you know, they just wash the lettuce because it's all plastic and it's all coming in. You know, so six of one half does the other. You pick a few as you can. In fact, did you read about the guy in the restaurant chair the other? Oh, you want to hear about the winter? You thought I wasn't going to get back to the winter? All right. Scientists have reported that temperatures today are one and three quarters degree colder than they were 15 years ago. And... They're 2.4 degrees colder than they were on an average 50 years ago. Regardless of what you say, friend. Bring it up. (laughs) If you're curious, here it is right here. Here's the official report from the UPI, right? Oregon State University Oceanographic Scientists. 
after a three-year study, have released their findings. Right, and you know what the theory is? If you think Watergate was bad, well, you hear this one, friends. The theory is that within a very short time, we will be in the grip of another ice age. Oh, man, that's even worse than inflation. Can you imagine all them polar bears coming down the main street, you know, and the icebergs floating up the Hudson? Oh, my God. As, as Yogi as Yogi Berra said when he was told that there was an ice age on the way, he says, where are we going to play then? <laughs>